Today we're going to pick up with 1 Timothy chapter 3. And in the series that we have been dealing with and discussing with the pastoral epistles, the pastoral letters, there are three pastoral letters, 1st and 2nd Timothy and the book of Titus. And Paul gave instructions to these individuals in regards to setting up structure, telling them what is expected of leaders and how one is to conduct themselves in the house of God. And so Paul is the one that is instructing young Timothy, and he has come to the place now in chapter 3 where he begins to give additional detail, and we're going to pick up with chapter 3 and read verses 1 through 7. I'm also going to read a couple of passages in the book of Acts. I will be reading Acts chapter 14, verse 23, and Acts chapter 20, verses 17, and verse 28. Today, Lord, we are grateful to you for the wonderful gift of people and being here today. And for your word, we thank you for the gift of life. We thank you for the gift of the word and for the preciousness of souls that you have saved and those that you are still saving and bringing into the kingdom of God. It is our prayer today that, Lord, you will be honored, that you will be exalted that you will be lifted up. Be with us today. Bless the mighty word of God. Anoint the vessel. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Here's how 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7 reads. I'll be reading from the ESV. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace and to a snare of the devil. Acts chapter 14, verse 23. Acts 14, 23 reads as thus. And when they had appointed elders... I'll give just a moment as people are still finding Acts 14, 23, if you want to find it. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. The key thing that I'm focusing on there is elders. Acts chapter 20, verse 17 and verse 28. Acts 20. 17 reads this way. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus, that would be Paul, and called the elders of the church to come to him. Verse number 28. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. May God bless the reading of his word. As a title for this message, I have given, you must qualify to lead. You must qualify to lead. People demanding leadership roles without having been vetted 
are often unaware of the dangers and the pitfalls of the positions they demand to have. Qualifying for positions of leadership is often seen as an unnecessary burden and qualifications just are deemed to be a nuisance. Why do I have to qualify? The Ephesian church, the church there in Asia, were putting unqualified people in positions of great leadership, or these leaders were simply just taking positions and demanded them, and this resulted in problems in the church of Ephesus and possibly churches in Ephesus. If God calls you and you do not have the pedigree that some think you should have, you still qualify as a leader if God is the one who calls you. Let me tell you this, that if God has a calling on your life, I don't care what people say. It is God who's going to bring you through and is going to bless you. Point number one. Point one, your aspirations must be vetted with good character. Your aspirations must be vetted with good character. As I often told you, when I was a kid growing up, I always didn't do what was right. And like I told you, I ain't telling you all my secrets either. Some of y'all know them already. We, we, were, we were known as youngsters that if you were going to school in Sausalito and you did something wrong, you could ex- expect to meet somebody under the tunnel. They said, I'll meet you under the tunnel after school. And, and as I mentioned before, I, I told you, there's only one way in Marin City and only one way out. You eventually had to go through the tunnel. <laughs> Some of people say, I'll just take detention today. I'm going to stay after school a long time. But being vetted, you have to be vetted. You have to be vetted. And Paul is saying here that there has to be a vetting process for those that are going to be put in leadership because just not everyone or anybody can be put in leadership. There's nothing wrong with aspiring to high positions. And Paul says that one who aspires to the office of overseer, Paul says that desire is a noble task. It's noble. But I want you to note something. The aspiration in and of itself is not wrong, but that's not all that is required. Dr. R.C. Sproul says the word overseer is often used or is used interchangeably with the word elder. Now, There's a Greek term, episkopos. It is the origin of the English words that we get, bishop and episcopal. Now, the bishops are not the ones that we're talking about in the second century that began to rule Rome and oftentimes had power and vested with them that they could control everything. That's not what we're talking about. In the churches in Ephesus, Paul is talking about those where people were being put into positions as overseers and they had to have the well-being of the people of the congregation at heart. When we look at some churches, we have to remember that Paul, as he is starting churches, had to instill and had to install leadership often with people that were just beginning to come to the faith. And so there had to be a process put into place to deal with those being put there to make sure that right ones were installed. But in the church of Ephesus, 
as I've been telling you, there was a major problem because false teaching was taking place. In verse number one, the first word, the verb aspire, comes from a word orgame. It means to stretch oneself out. When you think of aspiring, it's like a person who is running and they stretch to the finish line or a person that's stretching or trying to reach a goal. The second verb or the word desire is a strong word. comes from another Greek word, epithemeo, which means to express a strong desire for something. When Paul is using these words here, desire and aspire, he is saying that it is important to understand that there is a good, it's a good thing to aspire to something. And he says for the overseer, it is a great thing to aspire to that position, but it requires that a person be put there that has the right qualifications. When a person goes for a job, they often say, well, what are the duties? What are the responsibilities of the job? But you would note in the list that Paul gives these 11 items and seven, seven items are listed just in verse 2. Paul does not give a job description. But you know what Paul focuses on? He focuses on the character of the individual. Paul focuses first on the characteristics that one must possess for the job. Paul is not saying that a person had to be sinless because if that was the case, none of us would qualify. Not even Paul himself. There are some people today who say, I have never sinned. I say, you are a lie. No, I mean, you are a liar. <laughs> or, I'm sorry, you're not telling the truth. <laughs> Everybody has sinned. Everyone has fallen short of the glory of God. So Paul is not talking about sinlessness, but he is talking about a person whose now lifestyle has been changed. And the characteristics are thus which he calls forth, which a person is to have. Now the list that Paul gives does not seem to be a list based on any particular order, but he gives this list, and in fact, some of the names that he, some of the lists that he, the statements that he gives seem to have been even statements and names that even the Greco-Roman world had. They, in fact, they thought that a person that was not involved in drunkenness was a good thing. Those that were involved in certain things, he said that's good. And Paul mentioned some of these things and qualities. But he's saying that it's not that you have never done it. He's saying that now you have come out of that lifestyle. And the person that is put in this position should no longer do these types of things. Seven characteristics that Paul mentions in verse 2. But the one that seems to be the most unclear is when he says the husband of one wife. And now some may say, oh, that seems to be clear, the husband of one wife. But let me just ask you a few questions or make a few statements. Some have asked, does that mean that then a person cannot remarry when it says the husband of one wife? Does it mean that only those that are married can actually serve as overseers? Well, if that was the case, Paul and Barnabas would be excluded. Why? Because Paul was never married. So we know it must not include those that are single. They must be able to serve. Could, could it mean that those who had more than one wife 
were excluded, dealing with polygamy, or that one needed to make sure that they treated their wife well, or one that was in the position of leadership could not have more than one wife. So when you look at the passage, it would seem to not be as easy to decipher, and theologians to this day continue to debate. But Paul seems to be suggesting to Timothy that the person that is in this position should love their wife, singular, and to make sure that they do the right thing and take on the right responsibilities. Now, I've told you all this before. Me and my wife don't agree on everything. That may be a surprise to some of y'all. There are some things we just don't agree on. And I told you that when Saturday night came, it was always a fight. And I say fight, I mean argument. It just happened to be on Saturday right before Sunday's church. When I be coming to church, I told you, mad. After trying to play, I'm up here angry, but y'all didn't see that. Now, most times we could get an argument straightened out that same day, but for some reason when it came to a Saturday and to Sunday, it just seemed to linger. Then we said, oh, I got it. The enemy wants to mess up our worship experience. So Paul is saying that when one is an elder, one must be sure to have one wife and to do that which is right. You see, in the Bible... What the Bible talks about doesn't mean the Bible always condones. Let me give you an example. King David has several wives. It's not that the Bible was condoning, but it is stating this is what took place. See, we need to understand what the Bible says takes place doesn't mean the Bible condones, because Solomon had a major problem. Because I tell you, later in his life, one of his wives said, I want that. Another says, I want this. Another says, oh, no, you don't. And Solomon, I told you, went on a building campaign late in his life, trying to satisfy and trying to meet the demands. And the Lord had already told him, Solomon, don't do it. And God told him, Solomon, be careful to follow the decrees and laws that I've given. And the Bible says that the Lord says, Solomon, because you have sinned, I'm going to tear the kingdom from you. But I'm not going to do it during your lifetime. Why? Because of my love for your father, David. But I'm going to take it from your son. You see, there's a, there is a judgment that comes when one refuses to adhere to God's word. When my wife and I recognized what was happening on Saturday night, I told you just recently, we began to watch and we would sometimes say, it's Saturday. <laughs> As an indication that we need to watch. And when that happened, it's now been years since that's happened. It was like, wow, thank you, Lord. And having a new revelation revealed. Well, the leaders that evidently that had been in place, some of them were actually married to many women. And Paul is telling Timothy, Timothy, the elder, the bishop, the overseer can only be the husband of one wife. In other words, that word actually means I'm a one-woman type of, type of man, just one. Because it was commonplace in the culture that if a person didn't like his wife, he said, oh, I see somebody better. I'm divorcing you and going to get her. Get tired of her, I'm divorcing you and going over here. Uh, Paul said that can't happen. It was customary. So Paul is setting some guidelines of what has to take place. So those leaders that were in place, Paul had already told Timothy, Timothy, keep them from teaching 
And secondly, now, here are the qualifications that they must have. The church is made up of many people. People come from various walks of life. But when one comes to the knowledge of the Lord, the standard of how one is to live is raised. There are standards that we must understand and must recognize that as a people of God, we must adhere to. And so the wonderful thing about God is that when we blow it, we can say, God, I'm sorry, forgive me. Dust ourselves off and get up. But there are some people, when they blow it, they don't get up. They just stay in the dirt and say, oh, I blew it. No point in going forward. No, you are forgiven. Don't let anybody tell you that you can't be changed. God can't do a work for you. Get this. Paul was a person that was beating up the saints. He was tearing families apart. He, in fact, was killing the saints. He was going to... Various places with letters to bring them back and to try them. And get this, it was the Lord who called Saul and said, Saul, I have called you to be my vessel and to preach the gospel. And Paul always remembered what God had done and never forgot it. In verse number one, Paul says, here is a trustworthy saying. This is one of the common phrases that Paul uses in the epistles. He uses it, I believe, in chapter 1, verse 15. He uses it here in 3.1. Here is a truthful statement. Now, there have been some scholars that speak and say that, well, he is saying this because of what just came before. But many believe that it actually is being stated now because he said, I want you to pay special attention to what's following. Here is a truthful statement that I'm about to lay out. Pay attention. The overseer must be, he didn't say might be if they wanted to be, they must be, and he lays them out. He starts with the positive and then moves on to those which were the negative. It says, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. Now, He gives this list here because evidently those that had been leading were not take were not in the position to qualify based on these statements. And he is saying that anybody that's put that is put into place, here is a list by which you are to judge them by. He must not be a drunkard. And that means that he's not a person that is given to excess. Excess in wine. I used to think growing up that drinking drinking wine was 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 a sin. But I come to find out that that's not necessarily what that means. There are some cultures and some people that have a glass of wine. That's fine. But Paul is speaking of excess. There's some people say the Bible says that, that, the, that the wine is good for the body. And they take it to a whole nother level. A whole different way than what scripture. We call that in scripture, you are eisegeting scripture rather than exegeting. Eisegete means that you're taking the scripture out of context. Exegeting means that you are looking at the scripture and allowing the scripture to bring out what it says. In other words, what's the context? What is the scripture saying rather than reading your own meaning into it? So we need to make sure, we need to make sure that we exegete. He goes on to say, Not violent, but gentle. Now, what Paul is stating here, and which is very interesting, 
When Paul is saying violent, he's not talking about argumentative, but violent means that this is a person that's willing to go to blows. In other words, if you don't agree with me, he's saying he's ready to fight. So in other words, evidently some leaders were in a place where they were about to go to blows because they disagreed with someone or someone made them mad. Now, when I was growing up, my dad told me, he said, Marcus, we don't send you to school to prize fight. <laughs> I was always getting into fights at school. Smallest thing out there, but I was fighting. And one day at the dinner table, he said that to me. But he also told me, don't let anybody run over you. <laughs> I would get in trouble if I let somebody run over me. I didn't fight that. Oh, oh, no, no, no. You, you. Now, don't you go out and start in something, but don't you let anyone run over you. But what this passage is talking about is that a person that is quarrelsome is upset and wanting to fight, angry, and is willing to go to blows with someone they disagree with. Paul says, don't put that person into the position of the overseer. Because when you go to church, you're going to have to deal with a lot of different personalities, a lot of different people. And if you're not gentle, if you're not, if you don't know how to deal with people, you could be in the wrong spirit and you can lash out and do something that is not becoming of the position. So the person that is put there cannot be a brawler. One must be careful. They must be able to show restraint, gentle. They cannot be a lover of money. This verse has often been misused and abused in Scripture. The Bible says that the love of money, the love of money, is the root of all types and kinds of wrongs, not money itself. Think about it. God put it here. Everything that you see, God put here. That's why I always tell you, I am so tired of people telling me what I can't touch and taste and have and enjoy. I told you just a few weeks ago, if I want a hamburger and fries and a shake, I'm going to have it. I like meat. My goodness. Don't step on that piece of land. It has a special cricket. Well, let it move. You can't build there because a spider lives there and it's endangered. Well, if I see it, I'm going to kill it anyway. Oh, Lord, for those that are animals, I'm sorry. But spiders are not welcome in my house, in my yard. So when we talk about these matters here, we have to recognize that God has made this world. The only restriction was not for Adam and Eve to touch that one tree. Or rather to eat, rather, fruit from that one tree. Everything else. Today there are so many restrictions placed on people that God never intended. And I'll say this and I'll close. The matter of the love of money is there because it will cause a person to accept bribes and they can be bought off. In other words, where justice needs to prevail, they will not allow justice to prevail. They will allow injustice to prevail. Why? Because they could be bought off. See, love of money is not the fact of those who have it or that you have a lot of it or not as much. That's not what the issue is. It is what money does to a person's integrity. 
You see, there are some people who can handle money, and there are some people who just cannot. But you can be taught. What Paul is saying is that their motivation and their goal for the office of overseer should not be because of money. So Paul's saying there are some people that are in the position because they have a love for money. For those in government who always speak about socialism, but yet they're millionaires, I don't understand it. Those that would say, everybody should share. No, God says, go and work hard. If you look at all the parables, you look at the matters of what Christ talks about in the, in his parables in the New Testament is his teaching. You will often find something very interesting. You will find that in his teaching, he gives talents and he gives gifts. He gives the responsibility for people to take what he has given them and to use it and to make more. The person, in fact, that went and hid his talent in the ground, the Lord says, take the one talent he has and give it to the person with ten. Why? Because he will put it to use. Use what God gives you for his glory. So as Paul says this here, and I bring this to an end for today, the integrity of the heart or the character of the person must be at the forefront of anyone that is put in an overseer position. As an overseer, they must be above reproach and they must be well respected by the people on the inside as well as the people on the outside. I want to leave this word with you. Yes, you must qualify to lead. But I want you to know that God has given you the ability to enjoy life in the right way. But there always has to be order. God has placed order in place. In order to help not only the body of Christ, but that's how the world functions. People that want chaos and disorder, that is not according to God's plan. When you look at this beautiful universe that God made, if the sun was any closer, you burn up. If it was any further away, you freeze to death. If the, if the angle of, the, of this earth was, if the axis were tilted just a little bit more, you, you'd be gone. And so there is a balance that God has put here in this world. And we need to understand that it is for our good. So I leave this. Enjoy life. Enjoy what God has given. Paul is putting these things in place so that the church would be prosperous. It would grow. That the church would have leadership that said, yes, we love people when there are difficulties. We handle them in the right way. Make sure that you put people there that can handle various types of situations that come up. And with that, we'll pick up next week with the verse 4. Stand with me to your feet, please. I want, you, I want to encourage you, for those who have not read 1 Timothy 3, I want you to read 1 Timothy this week, uh, the entire chapter. It's not very long. 1 Timothy chapter 3. Read that. We're going to be dealing with that again next week. But I want you to read 1 Timothy 3. And understand this, that God has a calling on everyone's life. Everyone can be an overseer. Everyone can be a bishop. But everyone has a gift. Today, God, we are grateful to you for your loving kindness. We're thankful to you for blessing us to be here. Now, we pray that the word of God will not be left here in the parking lot, in the pews, but it will resonate in our very hearts, our very soul. We pray today that as we leave here, that God, the word will percolate. It will do the work in us that causes our lives to reflect the goodness and the glory of the king. 
thank you for your righteousness. We thank you for your goodness. In the mighty and precious name of Jesus. Amen.